Good morning, everybody. I, uh, I've, I've received no less than two or three, like, uh, uh, just confirmations that we're going to be done by 11, right? Apparently, that's a thing, you know? Uh, so, yeah, so we got to get moving so that we can do that. Yeah, so today we're going to close out our High Five series. Um, I'm excited uh, to be a, a, a part of this because uh, I was there when we started talking about the high fives. It, it was like yesterday that we were uh, sitting around as a staff and elders and trying to hammer out, uh, ha- hammer out these ideas uh, right as Brad came on board. And, uh, and man, it's, just, it's, it's been awesome to see these become the guidepost uh, for the ministry that happens here at Adventure. So I'm thankful for the opportunity to do this. And um, I love the quote that we've started out with every week that Brad's put up. Uh, your life is set up perfectly to get the results you're currently getting. I like it now. I didn't like it the first time I heard it, right? Are you with me? Because if, if it, it, there's a little bit where it hits, like, you know, you kind of did this to yourself, right? If you're not experiencing the things that you want to experience, it's because you, you, you've done that to yourself, and that's a downer, right? Um, but, and I connect with all of the discussions that we've had about busyness. I got four kids. I got two dogs. You know, I, I just there's some days where a lot of the times I just feel like I'm trying to keep my own bus on the road, and then speaking of buses, JCPS decides to change when school starts, okay, and it's like they, it's like they had, uh, you know, a, a little window into my life, and they're like, how can we make this as hard on the Vons as we can, and they're like, that's, yeah, do that, and so, um, yeah, so our, our life uh, for a little bit uh, leading up to school starting has been like that scene in Apollo 13 where they get all of the extra pieces and stuff like that and put it on the table. Hey, we need to make an air scrubber out of this. Like it's like, hey, look, I've got Zoe can drive. I've got in-laws. I, I've got, you know, a little bit of flexibility in my work. If we can just, if everything works out perfectly and there's zero traffic, my kids get picked up on time. No pressure, right? No pressure. Um, last week, Brad also said this. Regardless of whose fault it is, it's our responsibility to do the work when it comes to rethinking, reworking, and realigning our values and priorities to sync up with Jesus. Um, The reality and the truth of this series is that the details and path to wherever we find ourselves, like how we got there, matters less to our response to Jesus' constant offer to move towards him. And as an ownership guy, like that's like ownership is big to me, and like I get a lot of hope from the feeling of like I'm not stuck here. I can be a part of the solution. I can do. And so that quote really resonated with me. Um, so today we're going to talk about the final high five, uh, which is we live the way, and it centers on biblical authority. Uh, I'm not a Lord of the Rings fan, right? I'm not a huge fan. I watch the movies, whatever. That's fine. Um, but as I was thinking about this, this is kind of like living the way of biblical authority is kind of the the ring that makes uh, that rules them all. Right, and if I'm using that wrong, I don't care. Uh, it just sounds like it makes sense. I'm not a, f- I'm not a. F- I told you I'm not a fan. Um, but it, this is the value that makes all the other values make sense, right? You take away this one, and all the rest of them are kind of platitudes, right? And so it reminded me of this. I, I went on a mission trip several years ago uh, to Ghana. I visited Bob and Bonnie Parker with Seed Ministry that we actually uh, we support them here at Adventure. And we did some things around in some different towns and villages and stuff like that. And there was a mosque at almost every little town that we would stop at. And every, you know, throughout the whole day and at the end of the day, you could hear these eerie calls to prayer and that kind of thing. And it's just a very, very active Muslim community. And so I asked Bob, I'm like, hey, what's the deal with this? Like, these are all small, impoverished communities. How can they afford to put a, ma- a mosque up? You know, you, you guys can't afford to build a church. And here there's this brand new mosque, whatever. He laid out this 
detailed, intricate plan where Muslim missionaries come in, they see that, hey, you need a road or maybe you need a school, something like that. They'll build a road, they build a school. They're all funded by these uh, foreign money. So they come in, they find these needs, they, they, they build a road, they build a school, and they also build a mosque. Yeah, listen up, it's good. <laughs> Siri's listening in, just li- leaning in. Siri, I got, I got Siri's attention. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, you come in, you build, a, you build a road, you build a school, you build a mosque, and it makes it really easy if you're a Muslim missionary to go, hey, you see that road, you see that school, you see that met need, and you see that mosque? Allah did that for you. There's more, there's more to come if you, uh, you know, if you just join us. And so the, the Muslim missionaries, were, they were bringing hope to these communities that they visited. Uh, they stepped into the mess. They stepped into these communities that had great need. They, they set up support systems to, be, to meet future needs and to link individuals with an identity that was greater than their own, even their own nationality. The reality is they were doing everything that we are, to some extent better because of their huge funding and the outright commitment of these folks to, 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 to do this in these, in these towns and villages. And, and these four values, the reality is these four values in and of themselves, they just make sense when it comes to getting stuff done. Whether your goal is to grow a church or to grow an NGO or even for a for-profit, to, in a certain extent, these, these are, are common sense. But Bob and Bonnie would agree that the way by which we live, according to the message of the Bible, is the very difference between the power and the hope of the gospel and whatever it is that those Muslims are doing in Ghana. I, I can't even call it mission, right? It just doesn't even make sense. So what do we actually mean when we talk about biblical authority? Um, I'm glad you asked. It's, uh, it, I spent a lot of time in my undergraduate uh, work and uh, in, in most of a master's degree asking that very question and reading a lot of wacky stuff. Uh, it, it's one of my favorite things to think about. And, it, you know, in terms of the, the short list of things I could, I could think of that the Bible's been used to, to do, the text of the Bible, there, there's been Old Testament and New Testament texts you know, that we reference and read all the time that have been used in a serious attempt to, to, to validate and support slavery and to support racism after the Civil War. Um, as the Nazi party was coming to, to power in Germany, there were churches that were like, hey, you know what? The Jews did kill Jesus. Kind of makes sense, right? Uh, folks have used the biblical text to, to justify revolution in Latin America with liberation theology, there's been feminist theology, there's been black theology, there's been queer theology, that's a thing, I didn't, I'm not being mean, that's a thing, that's the name of it, right? People use the same text that we use to support, that, that we use, the same text that we read to support this wide variety and wide range of, of political and ideological positions in history. We do it the same way on a small scale, um, it's called proof texting, you know, if you've got a little mug with a Bible verse, or you got a t-shirt with a Bible verse on it, you're kind of doing the same thing. Uh, I'm not picking because Grace referenced Jeremiah 29.11, but that's kind of one of them where, like, if you read much further into Jeremiah, you realize, like, hey, God's going, listen, I know the plans that I had for you. You've forgotten them, and I'm going to burn this whole thing down, right? You re- read it. That's, that's the message, right? Same thing with Philippians 4.13. Sorry, Tim Tebow, it's not about sports ball. It's not about touchdowns. It's not. It's not. It's about being content and being satisfied, knowing that God's got you taken care of, and I'm going to be faithful no matter what the circumstances is. 
Some of us are a coffee mug or a bumper sticker away from completely missing the point of the scriptures. And history is rife with examples of well-intentioned folks who should have read a little bit further in the text, but instead wound up goose-stepping through Europe or otherwise supporting some of the most wicked and demonic racial divides the world has ever known. I say all that to say the business of reading scripture is important. It's the interpretive work, it's serious work, and it shouldn't be taken lightly. This is our book, right? You know, uh, the, the, throughout the turn of the century, there were all kinds of fights and debates over the historicity of the Bible and that kind of thing. It doesn't, not that it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It's not your book to interpret. It's our book. It's the church's book. It belongs to the church, and it's the authoritative, sense, uh, authoritative seat of everything that we do. And if we, as Christians, as, as, if we as caretakers of that message, if we misunderstand it and we just outright ignore the message of the Bible, we're just another NGO, or worse. So let's look at the text of Nehemiah and see how the scriptures impacted the repatriated Jewish community in Jerusalem. And hopefully we can draw some conclusions for ourselves about how the text of the Bible encourages and supports our walk with Jesus. So um, grab your Bible, grab your Bible app. We're going to read a big section of scripture. So turn to Nehemiah 9. As you're doing that, um, I'm kind of going to recap things for you. Um, if you haven't been reading through uh, Nehemiah during the series, I, I would recommend that you go back and just sit down and read it straight through. There's 12 chapters. Two or three of them are a bunch of names, so you can kind of quickly move through those, right? Um, but it's a great way to cap off this series. So um, kind of leading up to this, this chapter, the wall has been completed. The people come together, and they worship, and they celebrate. And as a part of that celebration, Ezra the priest and the namesake of the Old Testament book of Ezra reads the law before the people. Like, he reads the law, right? Um, it, one of the things I found interesting is that it, it specifically mentions that he read it to men, the men, the women, and anybody who was able to understand. So if you've been reading along, one of the major themes uh, of, of Nehemiah is the restoration of the people of God. You know, uh, they've been intermarrying, that, that's complicated things, and, and so the exiles are trying to, to preserve the remnant of the people of God. And, and by his grace, hopefully grow up back to the greatness of the generations past. So after spending a day reading through the law, the people respond. They lift up their hands, and the Bible says they worship the Lord with their faces on the ground. Now, have you ever read through Leviticus and Deuteronomy? These are, like, probably the texts that they were reading from. Um, I, I've done that thing where I'm like, January 1st, I'm going to start a Bible reading plan. I'm going to read all the way through the Bible in, 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 a, in a year. And you get to about February, and it's February anyway. It's cold, but you're in the middle of Leviticus, and you're like, I can't do this. I can't, I can't do it. I'm never going to make it. I'm never going to make it to the cool parts, right? It's, it's to the cool parts. You're never going to make it there. So, I, and, and like these guys, all day long we're reading. So hats off to them, one, for spending the day reading through the law. I mean, Brad goes 10 minutes over on Sunday, and I give him all kinds of crap. You know, these guys read the law for the whole day, Right? Two, these people responded and worshipped at the reading of the law. There was no lights, no killer musicians. It, it was just reading the law. And they realized, oh, crap. We, we can't walk away from this in the same way that we walked in. Just from hearing the high standard that God had for them, their response was worship and, and say, we, we got to figure this out. 
So that brings us to Nehemiah chapter 9. And again, I'm going to warn you, we're going to read most of the chapter together because it's a beautiful response to the power of the gospel. I apologize for reading to you, but you should have read it yourself anyway, and I knew you didn't. So we're just going to do it. Am I lying? Am I right? So I I say all this to say, uh, this was how the scriptures were intended to be read. Your New Testament letters were read out loud to the church. Um, you know, whatever, whatever scripture was being dealt with at the synagogue or that kind of thing. Huge chunks of scripture were read out loud, and they were read just like that in big chunks. And, you know, to get back to kind of the reading through the Bible thing, if you want to experience this and, and have kind of a cool thing, if you, if you drive a lot in the car, you got to commute. Um, I know Spotify has it, and there's probably other podcasts that, that have it. But the, the English Standard Version Bible has a podcast out where you can either read, listen straight through, like in daily chunks, or they'll do like um, one that is, you'll have a, a couple of chapters in the Old Testament, you'll have a, a psalm or proverb, and then you'll have uh, some, some of the text of the New Testament. So it's a very cool way to be in the text and not feel like, gosh, I got to sit down for an hour and read, you know, that kind of thing. So all that said, let's pick up in uh, Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 6. You are the Lord, you alone, you have made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their hosts, the earth and all that is on it, the sea and all that is in them, the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve all of them. And the host of heaven worships you. You are the Lord, the God who chose Abram and brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans and gave him the name Abraham. You found his heart faithful before you and made with him the covenant to give to his offspring the land of the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Perizzite, the Jebusite, and the Girgashite, those are all cool names. And you have kept your promise, for you are righteous. You saw the affliction of our fathers in Egypt, heard their cry at the Red Sea, and performed signs and wonders against Pharaoh and all his servants and all the people of his land. For you knew they had acted arrogantly against our fathers, and you made a name for yourself as it is to this day. And you divided the sea before them so that they went through in the midst of the sea on dry land, and you cast their punishers into the depths as a stone into mighty waters. By a pillar of cloud, you led them in the day, and a pillar of fire in the night to light for them the way in which they should go. You came down on Mount Sinai and spoke with them uh, from heaven and gave them right rules and true laws, good statutes and commandments, and you made known to them your holy Sabbath and commanded them commandments and statutes and a law By Moses, your servant, you gave them bread from heaven for their hunger and brought water uh, for them out of the rock for their thirst. And you told them to go into and possess the land you had sworn to give them. So when we read the scriptures properly, we're immediately confronted with God's greatness. The book is about him. The book is for him. And it celebrates his work. It's for him. And even in Genesis 1, like you know this, it says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The text, this text was most likely written around the time of the Exodus, right? So out of the gate, the Bible is saying, in the beginning of everything, before there was anything, the Hebrew God, our God, Yahweh, created the very spaces he and his creation would occupy. Over and against what was believed about the Egyptian gods, that they just simply op- operated uh, within the earthly realm and manipulated mankind for their own schemes. This is about God's glory. If you're doing anything else with the text, you're doing it wrong. Let's pick up in verse 16. But they and our fathers acted presumptuously, talking about the Israelites, and stiffened their neck 
and did not obey your commandments. They refused to obey and were not mindful of the wonders that you performed among them. But they stiffened their neck and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. But you are a God ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and did not forsake them. This is God's nature. He, he has every right and justification to wipe the earth of his rebellious creation. But he doesn't. He loves us and wants only for us to turn back to him. Continuing on, even w when they made for themselves a golden calf and said, this is your God who brought you up out of Egypt, this calf. And, and they committed great blasphemies. You and your great mercies did not forsake them in the wilderness. The pillar of cloud led them in the way and did not depart from uh, them by day, nor the pillar of fire by night to light for them the way in which they should go. You gave your good spirit to instruct them and did not withhold your manna from their mouth, gave them water for their thirst. Forty years you sustained them in the wilderness and they lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out and their feet did not swell. The returned exiles realized that they absolutely did not deserve to exist as a people as a result of the sin of their fathers, but instead they were shown mercy. This is a hard reality for us. Culture bombards us at an increasingly younger and younger ages that with the message that we deserve the best of everything, that we deserve it. Whether it's a dollar more an hour or a bigger house or a nicer car or a new phone, or whatever it is, I get it. Like, I'm a stuff guy. I like stuff. I, I keep a rolling list in my mind of like, if I had $1,000, if I had $500, if I had $200 and my wife didn't, you know, have any say over it, then these are the things that I would... <laughs> These are the things that I would buy, you know. I could tell you four or five in each of them. It just, it's how we are. But I don't deserve any of that. The reality is I don't deserve any of that. And the Bible ch changes my posture when, when I realize everything I have has come from him. It's all by his good grace. And I've done nothing to earn or deserve it. That's hard as an American. We work hard. It's like I earned this. I did this. You didn't, God, God has graced you with that and entrusted you for his purposes. Let's pick up in verse 22. And you gave the kingdoms and peoples and allotted to them every corner. So they took possession of the land, uh, the land of Sihon, Sihon, the king of Heshbon, and the land of Og, the king of Bashan. You multiplied their children as the stars of heaven, which again was promised to Abraham. And uh, you brought them into the land that you told their fathers they, to enter and possess. So the descendants went in and possessed the land. This is after the 40 years of war, uh, wandering in, in the wilderness. And you subdued before them the inhabitants of, of the land, the Canaanites, and gave them into their hand with their kings and the peoples of the land, that they might do with them as they would. And they captured fortified cities, a rich land, and took possession of houses full of good things, cisterns already hewn, vineyards, olives, uh, olive orchards, and fruit trees in abundance. So they ate and were filled and became fat and delighted themselves in your great goodness. Catch that. Israel didn't fortify those cities. They didn't build those houses. They didn't fill them up with stuff. They didn't even dig their own cisterns. Everything was given to them by God's good grace. And they ate and were filled and became fat and delighted in his great goodness. It's always about God's goodness. People Being people the way means that we live by his goodness and there's no room for swagger in that. 
You know, you get your, yourself in a place where you feel like, yeah, I got this. I got this. That's not good. That's not where we live. We live, it's about God's goodness. Verse 26, nevertheless, they were disobedient and rebelled against you and cast your law behind their back and killed your prophets who warned them in order to turn back to you and they committed great blasphemies. Therefore, you gave them into the hand of their, their enemies who made them suffer. And in the time of their suffering, they cried out and, and to you and you heard them from heaven. And according to your great mercies, you gave them saviors who saved them from the land of their enemies. But after they had rust, they did evil again before you. And you abandoned them to the hand of their enemies so that they had dominion over them. Yet when they turned and cried to you, you heard from heaven. Many times you delivered them according to your mercies. And you warned them in order to turn back to your law. They acted presumptuously and did not obey your commandments, but sinned against your rules which if a person does them, they shall live by them. And they turned a stubborn shoulder and stiffened their neck and would not obey. Many years you bore with them and warned, warned them by your spirit through your prophets, yet they would not give ear. Therefore, you gave them into the hand of the peoples of the lands. Nevertheless, your great mercies did not make an end of them or forsake them. For you are a gracious and merciful God. True confession includes a recognition of the cost and consequence of sin. I mean, when you really come to a place of confession, th th there's no space for this cheap grace that allows us sometimes as Christians to, to tolerate a, a secret sin or to tolerate a, a mindset that, that doesn't put God first. And let me tell you, there is no such thing as cheap, cheap grace. God does not take your sin lightly. He hates it. And if you don't believe me, read the prophets. Pick up any of them. It's the same message over and over again. Why have you done this? Turn back to me or it's going to be the end. And I want to point this out. Israel wasn't wandering in the wilderness to atone for their rebellion. God's not saying, hey, I'm going to stick you out here in, in, in the desert and you're going to pay for the ways that, that you've turned from me. The wandering, the captivity, the exile, everything that led up to this point it was the discipline God used as last measures to get the people just to turn back to him. It took all of that to get their attention. That's a scary thing for me when I look and go, how many times do I just flippantly, ah, not today, Jesus, not right now. Someone else will talk to that person. Someone else will carry that message. Today, the reality is that there are some of us that are, are living tough lives because of the very consequences of our sin. Right? If you're living on a tight budget because you're shopping or indulging because it makes you feel better, you don't have to deal with your feelings, your budget woes are a consequence of your sin. And if you're in a relationship, your, your relationship with your kids and your wife, it, it's suffering because you're too afraid to be vulnerable or you're checked out or whatever, that is a consequence of your sin. And it's not going to get better. It won't get better until you turn back to God. Sometimes God allows us to feel the uncomfortable consequences of our unwillingness to trust him or give him everything in hopes that we would just turn back to him. He loves us, and, and, and just like this text says over and over and over again, he, he waits patiently for us just to turn back to him. Let's wrap up Nehemiah here. Uh, at verse 32, now, therefore, our God, the great the mightiful and the awesome God who keeps, he keeps covenant 
and uh, steadfast love. Let not all the hardship seem little to you that has come upon us, upon our kings, our princes, our priests, our prophets, our fathers, and all your people since the time of the kings of Assyria until this day. Yet you have been righteous in all that has come upon us, for you have dealt faithfully, and we have acted wickedly. Our kings, our princes, our priests, and, and our fathers have not kept the law or paid attention to your commandments and your warnings that you gave them, even in their own kingdom and amid your great goodness that you gave them and in the large and rich land that you set before them, they did not serve you or turn from, uh, turn from their wicked works. Behold, we are slaves this day in the land that you gave to our fathers to enjoy its fruit and its good gifts Behold, we are slaves. Its rich yield goes to the kings uh, whom you have set over us because of our sins. They rule over our bodies and over our livestock as they please, and we are in great distress. Man, it's just a picture of over and over and over again, even up until that day, God being faithful and the people being unfaithful. So when we spend time in Scripture and, and, and we... we live according to the way of biblical authority. There's a couple things I want to highlight from, from what we see today. The first is this, the idea of conviction. We deserve death because of all the ways in which we've turned our backs on God. And scripture is a constant reminder that I'm no different, we're no different as a people than those stubborn Israelites in the wilderness. Get me a little fat, get me a little filled, and I'll start to wonder, I'll start to think, ah, Maybe it's not that important. It's just the way we are. The reality, he wants all of us, and he won't settle for anything less. Like, that's what, that's the worship that he desires. Take all of me. Take it all. Turn it all upside down. Make it all yours. Secondly, when the scriptures guide our lives, we realize just how patient God has been with his people. And that includes us. Rather than destroying us all, God simply waits for us to turn to him patiently. He may let us feel the consequences of turning from him, but even that is a call just to turn back to him. This passage is a beautiful example of God showing mercy and the patience and patience to generations of his people. Finally, you can't live the way and not come away from the story of the Bible different than the way you found it. When Peter preached at, Pente- at Pentecost, the sermon, his sermon detailed the same arc of God's generosity and the people's rebellion. Acts says the people were cut to the heart. They were convicted. They realized God's faithfulness. And when they said, what should we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sin, and you receive the Holy Spirit. The Bible is a story of the God of the universe pursuing his defiant children and patiently calling them back to him, to turn back to him again and again. But we have to do the turn. We have to make that turn. And it's a constant thing. It's not you do this once and then you're good for the rest of your life. It's the whole process of of your life and walking with God is a constant conviction, realization that, man, God's been so good to me. And and God, take me back. Turn turn me back to you. I want to turn back to you. The gospel, the story of the Bible, the good news that that God's brought his people out of the slavery of sin and death, it, it is the reason that we can bring true hope. It is the true hope that we bring. It's, it's why we're better together. It, it's why we would ever think of stepping into somebody else's mess, and it forms the very movement that we're a part of. 
Um, I want to tell you a story about Zoe and, and Junior Prom. It was last April. Um, she'd been driving uh, for a little less than a year on a full license and uh, had kind of kept a, 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 a small footprint in terms of the places in town that, 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 that she'd been. Uh, just start, start with that, right? Um, and I, I don't know if how many people here have, um, have uh, taught a Gen Zer to drive, right? It's, it's all different. It's all different, okay? Like, I was born with my hands like this to grip a, a steering wheel, right? If you let me drive a golf cart, like, I would learn to play golf or whatever. If you had a go-kart or whatever, I, I'd, I'd, we'd make friends, so I'd go drive your go-kart. Like, I wanted to drive from the very beginning that I was born. I, this generation, not so much. Uh, it was early on, and, and things that were just kind of second nature when I first got behind them, I could remember, like, things be like, oh, yeah, this makes sense. Just watch this. And that. Completely foreign to Zoe. So... That was the whole thing. We, we got a driving instructor. We got her through the test. We, we set her phone up with a couple apps, like Life360 and Waze. And, and we're like, what else, what else could you need to navigate this city, right? You guys know about Life360? You can put your family in there and see where they are at any given moment. And then Waze is just like a GPS that gives you real-time traffic and all that kind of stuff. And so we, we outfit her with more computing power and, and GPS capability than was present at the moon landing and set her off to prom, right? You think it's, this is good. This is going to be easy, right? 11 o'clock she calls, and we're thinking, all right, hey, I'm on my way home, had a great time, whatever. No, she's losing it. She's lost. She's lost somewhere out on Preston Highway. She turned down some dark street, doesn't know where she is, and she's freaking out, okay? Freaking out. Now, Zoe doesn't freak out. Like, she's like a rock, you know? She's been through it. She, she like, it's not her thing. She doesn't lose it. So now it's going down. I'm like, all right, let me pull up Life360. All right, I can see where you are. You made a right where you should have made a left. It's not that big of a deal. Like, take a side street, turn around, and, and you know, it's, it's, it's no big deal. So I'm trying to talk her through it, and I'm like, just find a driveway, turn around, order. All of a sudden, she's like, I think I just hit something. I'm going, oh, my gosh. Like, was it a person, or was it, like, something? <laughs> like, what did you, you got to be more specific. Like, I got to get, you know, and, and she's like, no, I, I think I busted out my taillights. I'm like, how did you do that? How are you going backwards? She's like, I was backing up and trying to turn around. Like, okay, okay, okay. I'm, I'm up, I'm getting dressed. I tell her, listen, to turn around, drive towards the main road, I'll give you the directions from here and here. And so I, I get in our van, and I drive 90 miles an hour around the Gene Snyder, right? I'm just screaming there. The whole time, I'm being calm, like, listen, I'm talking through this. It's okay. It's, it's okay. Uh, you, you know, you literally have two turns to make, and then you're going to be out, and you're going to be able to see the on-ramp. But I'm going to meet you next in the parking lot next to there, and, and it's, it's all going to be okay. I'm on my way. So... 90 miles an hour around Gene Snyder, about 16, uh, 16 miles to Preston Howard or so. And I meet Zoe in, in a parking lot close to the ramp and look over the back of the truck. There's a little dent. It's, you know, give her a hug. It's okay, baby. Let's go home. Okay. The whole time I was driving to meet Zoe, I just kept thinking over and over and over again of Luke 11, verse 13. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. The Bible says if this is how you feel about your kids, being the poor representation of God's love that you are, if this is how you feel, how much more do I feel and want nothing more than you than to pour out my presence on you, than to be with you when you ask? I wasn't there to guide Zoe home. She had everything that she needed to do that, right, on her phone. She had all other she needed. But what kind of father would I be if my reaction was like, hey, look, I downloaded two different apps Okay, two different apps. You have more navigational resources than the Apollo space program to get yourself across this 16-mile paved chasm between us and Preston Highway. I think you got it, babe. 
right? But that's not what she wanted. She didn't need directions. She needed presence. She needed me to be with her. Just be with me. See that I get there. That's the invitation that God offers us today. If we humbly toward, uh, turn towards him, he, he's been pursuing us and, 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 and is there to walk with us out of whatever mess that we're in. The story is about him and his power, and I only show up in the story when I'm demonstrating that I can't be faithful and, and that I, I absolutely need his grace. So as we close out today, I'm going to pray for us. Um, I would venture to say, I'm not going to take a survey because that's going to get weird. Um, we could all think about ourselves and our relationship with God, and, and, and we could come up with a pretty specific list of things that we're holding back, of things that we're just not willing and, and not, not trusting enough to say, God, I'm going to give you that. You know, I got my list, and it's It's scary. In the next minutes, as, as I pray, I'm going to pray real generally because I don't know what your list is, and I'm not going to tell you mine. Um, but as I do that, I want you to think specifically, and you pray specifically, God, take this. Even if it's like, I don't know if I can give it up, but God, take it. That, that's fair. Let's be a church. Let's be a people that turns this stuff over and makes that turn back to God. Not that we're 100 miles down the road, but like I want to give him, I want to give him everything. That's what he asked for. So let me pray for us. God, we come to you now humbled and laid low by your grace and your mercy and your faithfulness. We're thankful for your greatness your patience and your willingness to pursue after us even though you know we're going to mess it up again it's guaranteed you know it but God right now as a church and as individuals we confess to you all of those things that we're unwilling to, to give over all of those all of those that stuff that we're just not willing to entrust to you God, in your grace and in your mercy, take that stuff. We want to draw near to you. We want to follow after you. And God, I don't want to hold anything. I don't want to hold anything back. I want you to have it all. God, we're thankful for your grace. We're thankful for your sacrifice on the cross that paid for all that stuff. We love you and we want to turn back to you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.